In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Southern trees bear strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Listening friends, listening friends, welcome back for another episode. In our ongoing mission, just like the crew of the USS Enterprise, continue to try to save the world. They're probably having more luck than we are, but we're going to keep going. That we are. What you just heard, what you just heard at the top of the episode was the first verse from a little song called Strange Fruit, made popular by blues singer Billie Holiday in 1939. And the song was actually written by a fella the name of Abel Mirapol, written under his pseudonym Lewis Allen. And he published the poem two years previous in 1937. Billie Holiday put it to song two years later. And the song has to do with lynching, comparing bodies hanging from the trees to fruit. Naturally, listening friends, this didn't go over too well in 1930s America. <clears throat> they didn't want to hear about that stuff. But they don't want to hear about it now in Florida or Texas either. Yeah, go figure. But that's a, that's a story for another episode, maybe. But there it is. Strange fruit. Anyway, here we are back again with another episode. We are just about done with February. Heavens to bets where the year go already. I'm putting it out here now, listening friends, so you can get ready. We have some special things coming in March. We're excited. Uh, We hope you are too. So gird your loins. It's coming. Before we get to March, we have to get through this episode, though. So in order to do that, we have to have WTFs. Jack, you're up. All righty. So as we all know, because our Facebook made sure that we all know or knew, yesterday was Valentine's Day. <laughs> that lovely holiday for candy companies and Hallmark. And so yesterday. Um, the Mandarin Mussolini, also known as the little fella, tiny hands, the little leader, put out a lovely little, uh, whatever they're called, truths, whatever, um, for his lovely wife, Melania. And it uh, starts out with, this is a Valentine's letter from Donald J. Trump. Dear Melania, I love you. Even after every single indictment, arrest, and witch hunt, you never left my side. You've always supported me through everything. I wouldn't be the man I am today without your guidance, kindness, and warmth. You will always mean the world to me, Melania. From your husband with love, Donald J. Trump. How many people sign stuff to their spouses and the one they love with their full name? Ah, well... Apparently he does. But if you go on and read, there is a go on the click on this link to send your love to Melania and tell her how much you love her. So when you click on that link, if you want to actually tell Melania how much you love her, you have to donate to the Trump Super PAC. His Valentine's Day message was a grift. Not surprising coming from him. But it was a grift. He just did it to get people to donate to his theoretically campaign. But come on, we all know that he's either going to be paying E. Jean Carroll with it. Uh, different. Well, he didn't pay his attorney, so he won't be paying them. Uh, but then it will go to the state of New York for his big upcoming penalty that he's about to have. 
all of that junk. So yeah, he the dude can't even tell his wife he loves her without it being a grift for everyone else. And the sad thing is, Magaverse probably ate that up. Ooh, I got to pay 10 bucks to tell Melania I think she's great. Never mind that we really haven't seen hide nor hair of that woman in the last three years. Right? So make of that what you will. Mm. But, but yeah, I was just like, wow. But then I'm totally not surprised at all. So there you go. <laughs> but it's still WTFE to me. Like, damn, dude. I just, all the indictments in the witch hunt. She's still calling it a witch hunt. Which, well, I'm sorry, which trial, which of the 91 indictments is a part of a witch hunt? Right. Especially when he's admitted to practically all 91 of them at some point in Truth Social. Which I guess someone has finally gotten through to him that he needs to quit admitting to his crimes on social media because I don't know if this is true, but apparently certain truths or whatever have started disappearing from his account. It's like you are aware that once it's on the internet, it's uh, there forever. There's a record of it. <laughs> Anything I say will be redundant. Basically, I, True. if I say he clearly has no grasp on reality, we know that. If we say we know he's a con man and a snake oil salesman, we know that. Yeah. <laughs> if we say the, the only person that he actually ever loves, and even that's questionable, is himself. We know that. I'm so grossed out right now. <laughs> I mean, Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grossed out. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm so, I will be so glad when he is not a talking point ever again for anybody, yeah. but it's, right. it, it won't happen now that he's here and has been here. He will never not be talked about. That is, it is going to take this country a good hundred years to go through all of the crap that he has done to this country and still would like to do. So I'm over it. Yeah. Thank goodness for March 25th. I mean, we're still debating that, aren't we? No, no. The judge announced it was either yet the judge in that case, it was either yesterday or today that um, Mm. the trial is starting that day. He doesn't care what other trials are going on. It's starting that day. He's like, I'm not waiting around. (laughs) I, I, Another one of these rare moments that I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do. I, just, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I can't hide in the sand because that would be disingenuous. But I'm sick. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of him being here. I'm sick of him always taking up the air for everything. everything. I know. I and know. All, his, all his bad behavior just reverberates across endless people in endless amount of ways. And he doesn't care. Nope. Nope, because the world is, his world is him. There's no one else in it, and everyone is just a tool for him. So anyway, that's my WTF. Can't even tell his wife he loves her without making it a grift. It just, I'm just, yeah, that's all I got, which is really not much of anything. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss because my WTF is also related. Ah. And I, I hate to talk about it, but it's. It's conflicting me, so I'm going to. All right. It. So I'm going to talk about Georgia DA Fannie Willis, and uh, she's been called to talk about possible misconduct because she admitted to having a personal relationship with a lead prosecutor she assigned to the Donald J. Trump election fraud case. Now. Cheating is never a good look. I'm just going to put that out there first. And it it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Cheating is not a good look. But what they're getting at, or what Trump's people are trying to get at, is questioning her integrity by saying that she misused government funds to pay for trips that her and her boo thing took. They haven't proved anything remotely like that. What she did was morally questionable, and that's something that she's going to have to answer for in her own time. But it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that, just like we've established merely two minutes and 37 seconds ago, that Trump is a piece of shit. 
And he did these things. He did this shit. So whatever it was she did affects nothing about what he did. But of course, the only reason that Trump's people got this information, and I'm sure palms were greased. And if, if if I heard right, and I don't know if it's in rumor or not, they supposedly got information from this man's ex-wife. Yep. Or soon to be ex-wife. So palms were greased. I have no doubt. Or as it is, unfortunately, when, when people break up, breakups get ugly. It may have been just that. However it happened, this this information came out that she had this relationship with this man. And by appointing him and giving him a job, quote unquote, the way she did. Fair. I mean, it's a it's a it's a fair concern, but again, it has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not Trump needs to be tried for this shit because he does. Right. But his people are only trying to delay it. They're not getting the case thrown out. They should know better than that. But then again, we're talking about lawyers who voluntarily agreed to work with Trump. So I'm not sure how sound their judgment is. But right. if nothing else, they're trying to get it delayed past november yeah yeah the Mm. you know part of their attack too is that they're trying to say that he is not qualified to be a special prosecutor for that which of course when you look at his record he's more than qualified Mm. and they're forgetting well they're not forgetting they're purposely leaving out that he was a special prosecutor in a different georgia county before he was trying to doing a case before he came over here and the da that hired him to do that was a white republican and they also don't have any issues with the white female special prosecutor she hired for the case and the white male prosecutor she hired for the case yeah they only have an issue with the prosecutor that she slept with so and you know should they probably have done it because it definitely looks bad when you're doing this probably not should have maybe thought that through but it doesn't disqualify either of them from trying this case or the legitimacy of the case nope nope but here's my thing and i've seen it expressed in various places across not just the socials just but in 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 articles surrounding the case that as a black woman she was already up against extra scrutiny to begin with from mm-hmm. Trump himself, when he was foul enough to attempt to call her a racial slur, but even fouled that up. So she was already, they were already coming for her just on oh, the yeah. basis that she was a black woman. And it was, I won't say inevitable, I was hoping it wouldn't happen, that they weren't going to start trying to dig around and find something else, which is exactly what they did. But But it was... It's easy for people who are not like her to believe that she's done something painfully wrong. If you catch my drift. No, I I totally catch your drift. Because not that. And again, I think I said this before when we were talking about not her, but something else kind of related. I will never be in a position like this in my entire life. And my blood pressure thanks me for that. But I have been in circumstances where people have questioned my abilities and skill and made it a point to come at me extra hard trying to test me right often just because Mm -hmm. so i feel that that's what they did with her from the jump from the minute everybody heard this woman's name and found out oh this is what she's trying to do oh okay all of a sudden her whole her whole person was under attack Mm mm-hmm and if it wasn't this that they found out, it might have been something else. So I feel some kind of way that knowing that that extra scrutiny was going to be on her, that she 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 did something like this anyway. Granted, when she did something like this, she probably didn't necessarily, I don't know whether or not she necessarily thought she, she was going to bring this case to, but considering the timeline, she had an idea that this was going to happen and she still messed around with that guy. Yeah. Again, that's a morally gray area, and that has nothing to do with the law. She didn't break any laws. She did not. There is no law that says that a district attorney and a special prosecutor can't uh, do the deed. But you better believe that anyone in this position, especially a person who is not white and male, 
better be extra careful. And that's what happened to her. She was not extra careful. And I feel for her in that regard. And I am sick of people trying to make this out to be something more than it is. They're trying to deflect from the fact that the man that she's putting on trial is a piece of shit. And most of us know it. But the people are still getting a kick out of she shouldn't be allowed to get away with what she did. We're talking about an actual consensual relationship that we had, unlike what Trump has already been accused and convicted uh, of not doing. Of being of found guilty. Non-consensual right. contact, to put it mildly. So the irony is not lost on this in any way whatsoever. And I, I bet you he doesn't even, I bet you he's not even thinking of that because, of course, that never happened, according to him. So he's right. not even thinking of that. She he was just, not his type at all, even though he confused her with his ex-wife. But not his anyway. type. <laughs> but yes, I just, I feel conflicted about it. And yeah. I would like this part of it to get put back on the back shelf where it belongs. Because it has absolutely zip doodly squat all to do with his draw. Yep. And I I, I'm tired, you. I'm tired that this part of it is an actual story story. You know, you just, I like to think that. As I've gotten older, I've become more empathetic towards others and my ability to try to view the world through someone else's lens and viewpoint is greater than it was when I was a younger, assholier, more man, <laughs> you know, and there, but even then there are just certain things that I can't, I can fundamentally understand, but at the same time, I can't like, no, know what a certain thing is. And it has to just be exhausting to always have people questioning, you know, you and your abilities and what you're capable of and your knowledge simply because you're a black woman. Not just for you, but like, it's got to be exhausting just like as a whole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, it's almost like you wake up tired because the weight of every black woman is on your shoulders when you wake up i know that's like an extreme but i can't understand how exhausting or what that has to feel like because i don't go through that because the inherent bias allows that guys that look like you are supposed to know things right they don't give it a second thought as to whether or not you know what you're doing when it comes to any of a variety of countless things Right. But, but being not white, your question, and being not a man, your question some more. Yeah, it's tiresome. But unfortunately, after a while, you get used to it. But that doesn't mean you don't notice. Right, right. And, you know, just perspective-wise, I, I, I have a much easier time being able to put my, you know, like, my perspective towards, like, other men, because I'm also a man. <laughs> right? So I can... That's a little easier for me to do. And, you know, there are just certain things that women in general deal with that I don't have to deal with. It never occurred to me, you know, all of the steps that, like, my wife takes walking to the car going from, you know, in the mall parking lot at 8 o'clock at night. Because that's not something that I have to deal with. Right? Mm -hmm. And so... <laughs> Women have all of these things that I don't have to deal with, but then add to it this other, this whole other thing. Mm -hmm. And Shoot. sometimes just walking like me, sometimes even in this neighborhood where we've had very little trouble, the biggest trouble we had when, when, when there was some, some little obnoxious children that roam, roamed the neighborhood late one night and got into unlocked cars. Even considering that, and the fact that the driveway is literally 15 steps from the front door. I get out of the car. I still look around at night. I make yeah. as few trips as possible back and forth to the car after the sun sets. Because you just never know. Because I have looked up some nights and seen people I did not recognize way down the block walking a dog. I'm like, I know the dog walkers in this neighborhood. He doesn't look familiar. You mean to tell me his dog only has to go to the bathroom at night? I don't know that dog. I don't know that dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not something, like you said, it's not something you will worry about. You just get out of the car, lock the car, go in the house. 
Yeah. And the patriarchy yeah. has done a number. Yes. Racist patriarchy has done an even bigger number. <laughs> patriarchy in itself was bad enough, but when you tack on American racism. On an offshoot, vaguely related, when I say the patriarchy. You know, I like to dabble in the socials and get my blood pressure up. So I, I've heard that. So I was on threads today, per usual. And someone put a post up. Like She's supposedly a self-described businesswoman. I don't know what business that she's in, but she probably should not be in it any longer based on that one post. She says something to the effect of, I had a new person start today, and we found out she didn't work all day long. And when I asked her what the problem was or why she didn't do any work, she said, because I'm on my period. And so I fired her. That was the gist of this woman's post. Talking about another woman. And then, naturally, she got dragged. And rightfully so. Because a lot of people had the same question I had after I read this three times and tried to figure out what this woman's point was for saying this. Um, if you want to tell a story about someone not wanting to work, just tell the story about someone not wanting to work and that you fired them. Why did you have to bring up that the girl allegedly said to her problem was that she was on her period and she wasn't feeling that well that day. I'll bring that up. Right. And then goes on in another post because she starts explaining herself. Once you start explaining yourself, you pretty much just made your initial statement a lot of BS when you start backtracking and explaining. She says, well, I've had problems with my periods for years, but I've gotten it all straightened out. Thanks to my great nutritionalist. So she manages to put a plug in for somebody else while she's supposedly explaining that if I was able to work through the worst of my female troubles, this girl should have been able to, too. What? Yeah. And there's this thing going around. I don't know if this is just a social media thing about women, certain women not being what they call girls, girls. They claim to be feminists. They claim to be empowering but they don't know how to support other women. And this was an example of a woman that did not know how to support other women. And she just kept, people just kept coming for her. Like, how do you, what, why would you even bring that up? Why are you sound like you're bragging about firing this girl on her first day? Yeah. So the patriarchy has done a number because that's where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there, she's one of those women that have inadvertently absorbed more than a little bit of self-hatred because this is something that happens naturally that we can't help. And you're trying to shame this girl for it? Yeah. I know that was only tangentially related, but I had to get that out. So Yeah, no. no. <clears throat> anyway. Um, moving on. Moving on. From one, from one bit of oppression to another. Here come the rainbows and unicorns. Um, we, we do like us some rainbows over here. Oh, boy. And Anywho. unicorns. And unicorns. Try to keep that as a picture in your mind, listening, friends, because our topic today, while, a bit of, while it is a bit of history, it is an unsavory bit of history. And this is the, this is a, the example, not a prime example, the example of why slavery's effects reverberate even to this day. Picture it. United States of America. April 1865, Abraham Lincoln was like, Emancipation Proclamation, boom. At that point in time, the Civil War was drawn to a close, and he says, hey, how about we give limited suffrage or the right to vote to Black folks in the South? People lost their minds. Unfortunately, though, within a matter of days, he was assassinated. The fellow that took over, you may know him, Andrew Johnson. He yep. was the president at the time they started what was called Reconstruction, which is basically supposedly the rebuilding and reunification of the Union after the Civil War. Right. Johnson was a former senator from Tennessee who had remained loyal to the Union during the war. But he was a firm supporter of states' rights and believed the federal government had no say in issues such as voting requirements at the state level. Therefore, as you may already guess, his idea about that conflicted with Lincoln's. Go figure. Under his Reconstruction policies, which began in May of 1865, 
the former Confederate states were required to uphold the abolition of slavery, which was made official on paper by the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. They also had to swear loyalty to the Union and pay off their war debt. Beyond those limitations, those states in their ruling class, which were traditionally white planters, aka farmers, were given a relatively free hand in rebuilding their own state governments. However, Southerners were flipping their lids still, because if there was nobody to work for the white land and plantation owners, the agricultural economy of the South would collapse. As opposed to, oh, I don't know, getting out there and working in themselves. But I guess that wasn't the plan. So, during the last few months of 1865, a rumor started spreading amongst the freed enslaved folks down there in the South. That the federal government was going to grant, quote, 40 acres and a mule to every ex-slave family on Christmas Day. And although the federal government had confiscated some federal, some Confederate lands and given them to free slaves, it never planned to do this on a massive scale. Nonetheless, the rumor stuck, and a lot of these uh, freedmen refused to work because at that time, what was happening is that even though these were freedmen, these white plantation owners still needed some labor, so they would. Bend the arms of these freed folks and say, you better have a job or you're going to get in trouble. But in order to have a job, you have to sign this contract saying that you're going to work for me for a year, which a lot of them did. Why? They needed to eat. They needed the money. What were they going to do? Unfortunately, that was oftentimes the only, the only game, the only game in town, so to speak, as far as employment was concerned. So they did it. So because black folks were listening to this rumor about the 40 acres and the mule, they weren't, they refused to sign these work contracts with these, with these landowners for the, the upcoming year, 1866. And at the same time, these same white landowners passed their own rumor around that black people would rise in rebellion when the free land affair failed to appear on Christmas Day. Listening friends, we already know what fear mongering does. It has worked every single time to its intended effect, and this time was no different. So all these worries and prejudices and biases and fears, mostly on the part of white folks, that the economy was going to collapse, that black people were going to rise up in rebellion. They wouldn't have had anything to worry about, oh, I don't know, if they hadn't enslaved people, but that's just my guess. Um, all of that helped to produce what was called black coats. Basically, it was a set of laws pretty much isolated to the southern states that restricted what blacks could do. And they were special laws that applied only to black folk. The first black code was enacted by the great state of Mississippi. South Carolina followed with a code only slightly less harsh, but more comprehensive in regulating the lives of people of color. And the Mississippi's law required black people to have written evidence of employment. For the coming year, each January. And as I mentioned earlier, if they broke the contract or left, they would be forced to forfeit all wages and were subject to arrest. In South Carolina, a law prohibited black people from owning any occupation other than farmer or servant unless they paid an annual tax of anywhere between $10 to $100. That was no small piece of change no. in 1866. Not at all. And what this particular law did, one, because, again, jobs for blacks or free blacks, especially, were limited in that area. So what money, what extra money did they have to pay any kind of annual tax? So they were pretty much forcing people to work for the white slave owners. And they were insistent on still trying to utilize black people for right. maybe not free labor, but next to nothing if they could. They weren't going to let it go. Well, yeah, because it's not like prior to 19, or 19, 1866, you know, black people were getting, what's that word I'm looking for? Uh, paid. Correct. So. <laughs> they saw no reason up. to start now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, mm -hmm. Damn, what? It's crazy talk. It's like, you want a check? What? So, between oh. 1865 and 1866, almost all the southern states would enact their own black codes. 
the whole idea that their economy would collapse was hyperbole. I'm going to say that right now. Because all they had to do was give those jobs to people that wanted to willingly and freely work those jobs. But then that meant they would have to pay those people a fair wage and they weren't going to do it. The cognitive dissidence is just, every time I read about it, it blows my, it blows my leg back. Every time you would think I would be headless by now. Anyway, during the summer and fall of 1865, most of the old Confederate states held their constitutional conventions. And President Johnson's reconstruction plan permitted only white persons to vote for convention delegates or to participate in the framing of the new state governments. Not surprisingly, none of the state conventions considered extending the right to vote to the freedmen. South Carolina's provisional governor declared at his state constitutional convention that, quote, this is a white man's government. Now, as restricted as these black codes sound, and they were, interestingly enough, they did grant certain and very limited freedoms to feed black folk, including the right to buy and own property, marry, make contracts, and testify in court, but only in cases involving other black people. The Black Codes was intended primarily to restrict where and how they could work. Again, pretty much limiting their choices so as to make them work for the white landowners. Like I said, the Black Codes did allow for marriage, and marriage at that point between Black folks was legally recognized, as were the children of these marriages. However, surprisingly enough, interracial marriage was still illegal. Hmm. An editorial in the Macon, Georgia Daily Telegraph newspaper reflected the widely held opinion of the white South at this time. Quote, there is such a radical difference in the mental and moral nature of the white and black race that it would be impossible to secure order in a mixed community by the same law. That's real cute. Anyway, not only did the black codes include particular restrictions limiting where black they also had something called anti-enticement measures that were designed to punish anyone who offered higher wages to a black laborer already under contract. Does that sound familiar? What? Like you can go ahead and treat them fairly if you want to. Hmm. Black folks who broke labor contracts were subject to arrest, beating and forced labor and apprenticeship laws, forced many minors who unfortunately were either orphans or those children whose parents were deemed unable to support them by a judge. And I imagine that was more than a little biased. The law would allow those children to be forced into unpaid labor for white planters. Remember, the 13th Amendment outlawed slavery, except if you are arrested. Keep that yep. in mind. Keep yep. it in mind. These laws were probably gleefully enforced by, surprisingly enough, all white police and state militia forces, often made up of Confederate veterans of the Civil War. And I'm going to go ahead and say that they were probably more than a little bitter. Yeah, I'm. whatever that word is in the English language, I don't know what it is, but they were that. Um, And that's probably putting mildly, really, but I digress. <laughs> The Reconstruction Act of 1867 required the Southern states to ratify the 14th Amendment, which granted equal protection of the Constitution to former enslaved people and allowed everybody, male, the right to vote. So, even though the Black Codes were pretty doggone popular in the South, the North was like, <gasps> naturally. And because they were upset, the noise that the Northerners were making started to undermine support for President Johnson and the Republican Party. Keep in mind that the positions of the Republican Democratic parties were basically the opposite of what they are today. The change to what we know now didn't happen for some time. But during this time, yes, the Republican Party indeed was the party that freed the slaves. It's right. It's what you heard. It's not a joke. But the Republican Party is, was what the Democratic Party aspires to be today, if that makes sense. No, so, I, I, yes. I mean, yeah. for the listening friends. So, right, right. yeah. So, with the 14th Amendment passed, 
the new Congress that took office at the federal level didn't like the South, didn't like the Southern lawmakers, thought they were all full of shit. Like, why are you doing this? What's happening? And so they bickered back and forth with President Johnson, and they took control of Reconstruction, pretty much taking out of his power and decided they were going to dictate the way they wanted to dictate it. Johnson vetoed the legislation they came up with. Congress overrode it. And the back and forth with President Johnson led to his impeachment in 1868. And he has the honor of being the first president impeached. But the Senate failed to convict him by one vote. Just a little tidbit. Yeah, the Senate doesn't seem really good at convicting impeached they really, presidents. They really, they really aren't. They really aren't. The Fifteenth Amendment, adopted in 1870, guaranteed that a citizen's right to vote would not be denied, quote, on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. They called this period radical reconstruction. That went between 1867 to 1877, and this was the time again, as I mentioned that they started leaning heavily on the South to pretty much stop acting like jackasses. So it was this during this time period that a lot of black folks, well, specifically men, were elected to local Southern state governments and even to the U.S. Congress. Go figure. The black codes didn't last too long. And I'm probably really glib in saying that because for the people that had to deal with it, it was long enough. But by 1868, most of the southern states had repealed whatever they had left of the Black Codes, and probably because they just didn't like the fallout, but that's okay. That's what it's for. And support for Reconstruction policies started to fall off after the early 1870s. You know why? Do you want to know why? Take a guess why. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Uh, uh, racism? Bingo. Also, this is the time period that we started to see the formation of white supremacist organizations, such as the Ku Klux Klan. Go figure. And we already know about them, and uh, I don't know. We don't need to waste any more time. Anyway, so by 1877, Reconstruction was pretty much dead. And like all fads, the outrage that the Northerners had was uh, pretty much gone. A lot of things helped kill Reconstruction, economic troubles more conservative consensus, and a general feeling overall that Reconstruction had failed. Not to mention the resurgence of the Democratic Party. And again, the Democratic Party is nothing like what it is today. And surprisingly enough, a growing respectability or acceptance of racist attitudes. <gasps> right. Um, one question, and I don't mm. know if this was anywhere that you would have seen. Um, this also is sort of at the same time that uh, America's push West was happening. Did that also have some sort of reason on why the North kind of didn't care about, you know, the thinking about the South or caring about it sort of lessened as the push West was occurring. I didn't see it specifically in anything I researched, but it makes sense. It makes sense that it would, they'd stop being worried about, Oh, I don't know human rights and be more concerned about the almighty dollar. Why not? It, it uh -huh. is America after all. Cause it was, you know, it's West, the railroad, the golden and nails, right. et cetera, et cetera. So that makes sense that it would, it really does. It wouldn't probably a part me. of it. Probably, probably a part of it. So by early in the 1900s, roughly eight, 1910, all Southern States, had managed to exclude black folks from voting. So all that push during the radical reconstruction phase pretty much was gone. The South once again managed to tell blacks, no, you're not going to have any part of the government that we want to build down here. Go figure. But they had already started forming or revamping the black codes and putting them back into use under another name. Jim Crow laws. What is Jim Crow, you ask? It's a good question. There was a white entertainer by the name of Thomas Dartmouth Rice, who, throughout the 1830s and 40s, performed a popular song and dance at supposedly modeled after a slave. And he named the character Jim Crow. Rice went around in blackface, acted like a buffoon, and spoke with an exaggerated and stereotypical imitation of what he thought black folks sounded like. He also sang 
quote, Negro ditties such as Jump and Jim Crow. I'm sure that was a fine time at the theater. Although it's not clear how that particular character became associated with the laws, but it stuck. And the fact that it was referring to a stereotypical and negative depiction of a Black person, it doesn't take much to make the leap, honestly. And people actually started using that phrase as a derogatory term towards Black people, you know, amongst all the other ones. Go figure. But that's where the name Jim Crow came from. And that's actually something I had never looked into specifically is why it was called that. So in my research, that's what I found out. That's not surprising in any way. Not at all. No. But <laughs> very interesting. I didn't know that either. Mm -mm, mm -mm. So, yeah, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So back uh, backing up a little bit, you know, towards the end of the 1880s or the 1800s, even though this this time period still saw the black codes in effect from from most places, but not necessarily in the big cities. And so black folks started moving from the rural parts of the South into the bigger cities. And then all of a sudden they started getting jobs and the white people got worried. So naturally they had to stop that from happening. So here comes the Jim Crow laws. And again, those things pretty much were cemented by the early 1900s, the Jim Crow laws. They were similar to the Black Codes, but worse. Can you imagine? Well, they had had time to think about it at they that did. point. They did. It went so way... they were much more efficient in racism. They went... <laughs> they went way beyond just limiting where and how Black folks could work. They limited where they could go, what they could visit. What doors they could enter a business if they could enter that business at all. Everything was segregated. The theaters. White people would sit at the bottom. Black people were segregated to the balconies. Segregated waiting rooms and doctor's offices if they were even allowed there. And bus and train stations. Separate water fountains. Separate restrooms. Separate building entrances. Separate elevators, cemeteries, and even amusement park cashier windows. Imagine me trying to go to Six Flags and I got to go to the other. <laughs> right. And, and you know that that was so bullshit. But even that ticket booth was shittier than the white ticket booth. <laughs> like you see the picture that I try to put up on a regular basis during uh, Black History Month. It's the picture of the, the black guy drinking from the whites only fountain. Yeah. He's actually a photographer. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he did a lot of um, a lot of work during the 50s and 60s. I love that picture. That says everything you need to know about how black folks felt about that time period. Fuck your laws. Anyway, and as we touched on a couple of weeks ago, these same laws also restricted where black people could live. Part of Jim Crow was that thing that we talked about a few weeks ago. Redlining. Go figure. Isn't it amazing how everything just comes together? Everything is relatable. I know. Sometimes when you're like as we as I've gone on this journey, but you've mm -hmm. you know, you've been my guide on a lot of it, finding out all of this stuff, and it's just like it almost sounds conspiratorial to be like, oh no, that was racism. That that stemmed from racism. Nope, that's connected, but you know why it's connected? Racism. And it almost sounds conspiratorial, but when you look into everything and you go and study, you're like, it, it isn't a conspiracy. It was the actual history and facts and things that happened and why it occurred. And I like to say, not everything is racist, but a lot of things are. The most unlikely things have some basis in denying somebody their rights. Yeah. Well, the aforementioned uh, when you were talking about marriage, marriage licenses came about so the government could keep track of black people getting married. Right. Even your even your marriage license. Even your marriage license. <laughs> is you, could, you couldn't do anything. Lord have mercy. Some states, and this should come in no surprise, some states, some states in their public schools required separate textbooks, though. Doctor. And we've mentioned this in a recent episode as well. The city of New Orleans main, mandated the segregation of prostitutes according to race. 
Okay, now that, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know how we've talked about that it's almost harder to be racist than to not be racist? Mm-hmm. I feel like that falls under that category to the extreme. Oh, because sorry. This is, the white, this is the white hooker corner. You got to go over to that corner over there. Here's the thing. I'm going to be dead wrong for this. I'm sorry. Not all those white men wanted a white prostitute. Let's just be real. Well, yeah, no, I'm I'm not saying no, that's clearly I'm not I'm not the I'm case. not saying that you're going there. I'm just saying Right. No, based on all of <laughs> based on all of the uh the people alive today who when DNA is done it turns out, oh hey, my great 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 grandfather was a white slave owner. Um clearly or my great 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 grandmother was black. Either or <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so that's what i'm saying so that's not the shocking part it's just like yeah no this corner's for us white whores you guys got to go over to that corner that that's your corner sorry <laughs> just of all the odd things it, it shouldn't it sounds ridiculous but it makes sense they're okay. literally trying to restrict everything they can it makes it makes total sense <laughs> based upon that viewpoint. I'm just like, God damn. <laughs> In the city of Atlanta, black people in court were given a different Bible from white people to swear on. Not to mention, there were what, what were called sundown towns. And we talked about this in previous episodes. That we have. With signs warning blacks that they weren't welcome at all. Or they weren't welcome after sunset. Either way. They gave black folks a tough time. <sighs> Go figure. As the 20th century progressed, naturally Jim Crow laws flourished within an oppressive society marked by much violence. After World War I, the NAACP noted that lynchings had become so prevalent that it sent a fellow by the name of Walter White to the South. He had lighter skin and he could infiltrate white hate groups or what we call passing. Mm-hmm. This, if listening friends, I don't know if this reminds you of anything, but this is almost like the plot of Black Klansman, Spike Lee's movie from a couple of years ago. Yep. If you've never seen it, please put it on your list. It is unintentionally funny to see how ridiculous redneck racists are, but it's a good movie. Go figure. And as these lynchings and other acts of violence increased, so did race riots. And during the summer of 1919, at least 25 of these race riots occurred in different cities across the country. And that period is often referred to as the Red Summer. We've mentioned this briefly in other episodes as well. In retaliation, white authorities charged black communities, get this, with conspiring to conquer white America. Wow, that didn't disappear because that isn't that like half of Tucker Carlson's shtick, only it's not, you know, black people this time, it's brown people from Mexico, but... Yes. Yeah. Yes. All of us melanated folks, we're in it together. That's yeah. correct. Clearly, you guys have this vast conspiracy going on. That you're just slow playing it. Another another five, five, six, seven hundred years, your plan is totally going to be complete. Yeah, our agenda is moving right along in tandem with the LGBTQ plus agenda. So just keep keep an eye out. Just marching on at (laughs) at a snail's pace, you know. Another (sighs) another fifteen, twenty thousand years, your goal is going to have been achieved. Correct. (laughs) So facing these kinds of obstacles, naturally, black folks were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this is the first wave of what was called the Great Migration, with thousands of Southern Black folks moving up to Northern states, seeking employment and better opportunities all the way around. The Great Migration is is quite a, it's actually just not one period in time, it's two different ones. And it's actually a very, very interesting story. That might be. That could be an episode on its own. Correct. That is correct. Great Depression showed up, said, hey, naturally, when economic times are hard, angry people can just only get angrier, unfortunately. And this is exactly what happened. 
So now we're coming up into the 40s. World War II happens. World War II ends. Black veterans serving their country as proudly as they possibly can and being honored overseas come home and get the same old, same old. Yep. Which, um, when Dr. Bob was on and he talked about the Tulsa Race Massacre, um, that was one of the things, you know, the points that he made was Black veterans coming back from World War One mm-hmm. and the treatment they were receiving. Now, I know you're talking, you know, I'm just saying in general that it's, once again, it's all tied together. Oh, no, and, no, no, no. I yeah, mean, World War I mean? One is mentioned in here. Yeah, it does. And it does tie together. And a matter of fact, it reminds me. I know I've probably mentioned this to you a couple times. Um, they did the limited HBO show Watchmen based on right. the graphic novel and then the book. I mean, the graphic novel and then the movie. And it takes place. It picks up from the story of the original story of the Watchmen in the 80s, picks up 30 years later in modern times. And it opens up, the very first episode opens up with a fictional reenactment of the Tulsa Race Massacre. That was the first time I had ever seen it depicted in any kind of fictional TV show or movie or anything. There's documentaries, yes. But to see it depicted the way it was, and that was, a a lot of people have said that was the first time they had ever heard of it. A vast majority of Americans have said that. And not to mention that show, it, it, it warms the cockles of my heart for various reasons. One of which is that it made the racist scream because they were calling it fake wokeness and social justice warriors. And how dare they? They're just pandering by putting a black woman in the lead role. And there's nothing political about Watchmen. Huh? Did you read? Did you read or watch the (laughs) first (laughs) Watchmen? No. Tell us you didn't read it without telling us you didn't read it. Yeah, but with that depiction of it, um, part of one of the one of the characters in that particular episode was a World War One veteran, and they show him during his time over there in Europe, and he's in formation with his unit going down the road, and the enemy was good about propaganda is the thing. Part of the propaganda that was being um, utilized against Black American troops was trying to get them to believe. Use using the fact of racism at home to make them defect and go AWOL. Right. Why do you want to fight for a country that doesn't even like you? Basically. Right. And it was interesting how they depicted that happening. They had planes going overhead where these troops were marching. I can't remember where the troops were supposed to have been. But the planes are um enemy planes are flying overhead and they're dumping thousands of flyers with this propaganda message on here. Why would you even want to fight? For a government that hates your guts. And they weren't wrong. Because a lot of people that voluntarily. Yes there were melanated folks. That voluntarily. Enlisted in the military during this time. Why do you want to do that? They were always. Why do you want to do that? Because. And that's a whole. That's the, Those reasons are myriad and individual. Right. And they run very deep. I'll put it that way. Yeah. But to go over to Europe. Fight for your country. Being cheered by the countries and the country folk that you're trying to defend as part of the allies. And then come home and still have to dub. Not only are you dealing with the same shit, you're dealing with the same shit times 10. Because now you have to deal with white folks that have done nothing near as remarkable as what you have. So now you have to deal with their their natural racism as well as uh, over-exaggerated um, resentment. Oh, you think you're better than us and blah. <laughs> I could go on, but I won't. You catch the drift. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so it happened, unfortunately, much the same after World War II. Uh, Again, this is the time period where a lot of returning veterans, uh, white returning veterans, um, took advantage of government money and got themselves some houses. Again, redlining worked against those black families that tried to do the same and take advantage of the same benefits, and they could not. Go figure. I won't go into it again because we've already talked about it. So in 1948, a fellow by the name of Harry Truman, who just happened to be the president of the United States, ordered integration into the military. Hmm. 1954, 
Supreme Court heard the case of Brown v. Board of Education, and they ruled that educational segregation was unconstitutional, bringing it into the era of separate but equal. And we've talked about that in our episode about the Little Rock Nine. 1964, a fellow by the name of Lyndon B. Johnson, who was the president then, signed a little document called the Civil Rights Act which on paper ended the segregation that had been institutionalized by Jim Crow laws. And pretty much across the board, that the signing of that document is the official end of Jim Crow. Now think about this. Civil War ends, having been fought over the South's insistence that they need to steal enslave people for free. Reconstruction comes. Early on, trying to give Black folks some rights, but being solidly denied. And then after everybody's interests wane, the South gets its way again. Once again, effectively reminding Black folks that they would just not leave us alone. I digress. We get a, a, almost 100 years between Black codes and Jim Crow. And it took the Civil Rights Act to make it legally stop. That's not to say that this shit still doesn't happen. Because as we've, we've discussed before, they found more, more creative ways to circumvent addressing race directly. And they'll go around and say, well, it's because of this that you can't have this. Or it's because of this. Or it has nothing to do with the fact that you're black. When you've had or time you. to think about it. Yes. Again, like you said, more efficient and crafty in their... Um, imaginations imagine if they only use that power for good right in the next year 1965 the voting rights act was that everybody can vote now fair access to voting in 1968 the fair housing act which ended discrimination in renting and selling homes that was supposed to have effectively ended redlining but here we are right as we discussed the ghosts of redlining are still quite prevalent and I, I read that report, that link to that report that you included about um, the study between Baltimore and Denver. Denver. It was Denver. It was interesting. Yeah. Like, it took me a second because there were some parts I had to go back over and read again. But I'm like, it makes sense. The areas that back in the 20s and 30s that would have been affected, the population that would have been affected by redlining no longer live in those areas. So any attempts that those cities make in trying to improve and integrate kind of fall short because they're not affecting the the ancestors or the descendants of the people right. that were actually affected by redlining. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. And it's sad. It's sad that even in attempts to, to rectify the sins of the past, it's a hit or miss kind of thing a lot of the times. Yep. And that's affected what, what people call gener I mean generational wealth. Black folks that could have bought houses and passed those houses down to their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren didn't have the opportunity to. Hmm. Yep. Go figure. But there it is, listening friends. All the ways that white people just want to make it difficult for all of us. And not, not all just, white people. Not, no, I did that goes without Except for me. <laughs> yes, you're the only one. Yes. <laughs> Everyone else. <laughs> But the thing of it is, and I think I think Dr. Bob, this is one thing I remember even now from his talk with you, is that racism obviously affects black folks and other people of color, obviously. But it also negatively affects white people too. Yeah. Because the people that sign on and believe in those kinds of things and profess that kind of hate, they miss out the experience of getting to know other people. And other things and widening their perspective and their worlds. Yep. They miss out. They deprive themselves of those opportunities and they don't care because they want to hold on to the hate and the discrimination. Yeah. Um, simple, easy sort of thing that, you know, ties into that. You know, cities used to have, you know, municipal pools and parks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even though it is said that they were closed because of insurance and maintenance and upkeep. It's kind of funny that they didn't start closing them until after, 
you had to integrate pools, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So now a citizen of a certain city can't go and pay, you know, a buck to go swimming because the pool doesn't exist because racists shut the pools down because they didn't want their white kids swimming with black kids. Or you can shut the public schools down for an entire school year because you don't send the white kids to school with the black kids. You can do that too. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, as, as we've said on this show, it's almost harder to be racist. Because <laughs> you act, you have to actively look for ways to shun people. Yeah, and apparently the Republican Party's been doing it since about 1968. New and exciting ways to do it. Yes, and they were just very. They too were slow rolling their plan, but they were slow rolling their plan much faster than your plan to take over America. I'm a little ashamed of that, really. But you know, persistence pays. Not in dating, but in politics. Yes, persistence pays. <laughs> yeah. There's a in Pink Floyd's The Wall, the the main character Pink has what can only be called an emotional break. And so there's this part of it because it's a rock a rock opera thing, right? So there's mm-hmm. this part of it where he's kind of having this fe- fever dream, where the main character Pink basically becomes a fascist, right? In this weird fever dream of all this crap that's going on in his head. And so there's a song from the viewpoint of fascist character, and it amazes me as I'm listening to it, and I'm like, holy shit, those are the talking points <laughs> of the modern Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like that was a work of fi- of fiction in that part. You guys weren't supposed to take that seriously as a course of action because you do know that the Republican politicians of today were the frat boys of yesterday, hopped up on acid, listening to Pink Floyd. <clears throat> Apparently, they well, some of them. Because they didn't catch the message, apparently. But, yeah. No, they heard what they wanted to hear. They heard no. (laughs) And it's just like, you know, uh, I don't know where I heard it, but somebody played a speech of David Duke when he was running for president. Mm. And it's like, this is the platform of the Republican Party today. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I read somewhere... I think they were talking about like affirmative action or something like that and not realizing that, you know, nepotism and cronyism is nothing but affirmative action. Affirmative action's ugly cousin, basically. And someone made the joke about the guy. This is the guy who got his job as the CEO of the bank just because he threw up in the same toilet as the president once back in college. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, oh, they're they're kind of buddies. That's great. But it's probably true. It's but, probably true. Yeah, those those white fraternities are good for that kind of networking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the point in that part of that particular rock opera is mm. a warning. Mm-hmm. It it's not an aspiration, an aspirational goal. It's a warning. Because you see how they deliberately misinterpret stuff now. So right. there's absolutely no doubt that they they heard exactly what they wanted to hear. And then Apparently. they were like, let's see how we can make this work for us. Yeah. Kind of so, put a pin in it. We ought to talk about how the Republican Democratic Party's changed up. Yeah. That, that's always an interesting story. Because people it is. people just trot out the part about the Republicans were the party that freed the slaves and they leave it at that. Right. That's how they try to make people believe that Republicans care about color folk. (laughs) Right. And they always, and there's also a bigger part of that story too. And the, the big switch, as they call it, occurred. A lot of people think that it happened with Nixon, Mm -hmm. which it did, but that was actually 2.0 because it really started under uh, Roosevelt with the new deal. Mm -hmm. Sure did. And that part is often forgotten. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be a future episode. 
listening friends, we might have a governmental, we might have a governmental May. Who knows? Who knows? We do what we want around here. Because we're here to save the world and we do it by any means necessary. That's right. But on that note, our time with y'all has come to an end. It has. It definitely <laughs> has. And with that, if you would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash hyperfocus pods. And we would love your support. Indeed. So with that, listening friends, we will talk to you later. Bye. 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 And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. <laughs>